hack into cybersecurity? There's a ton of content out there, and if you don't know where to start, it can be overwhelming, even paralyzing. So let's fix that. Welcome to Simply Cyber, a community of tens of thousands of aspiring and active cybersecurity professionals focused on networking, knowledge sharing, and professional development. I'm Dr. Gerald Dozier, Chief Content Creator at Simply Cyber, inviting you to get the answers to your cybersecurity problems with hundreds of cybersecurity videos answering your frequently asked questions, interviewing industry experts, and live streaming daily cyber threat briefings hosted by me. Now get the stories and insights you won't find anywhere else. Hit subscribe now and dig into all the fresh content on the channel and in the community. Nothing should stop you from launching and leveling up your cybersecurity career today. What's up, everybody? Welcome to a beautiful Tuesday morning down here in Low Country, September 19th, 2023. Welcome to episode 454 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, you, Mark Lesser, Jada Herman, Billy DP, Evan Barnett, Subro, Cyber Newbie, all those like Sherry and Matthew Necci, not only IT, Carrie, Johnny Five. Everybody on LinkedIn, everybody on YouTube, everybody in the squad, everybody in the Simply Cyber community, everybody in the cybersecurity community. If you are here, we are all going to be shredding the top cybersecurity news stories of the day. And I'll be giving my expert opinion and analysis on each of those stories on what it means to you as a practitioner. So how can you operationalize this at work to deliver cyber risk reduction for your stakeholders and bonus chef's kiss. If you are looking to break in the industry or learn more about cybersecurity, there's absolutely a wheelbarrow full of value here for you. You're going to get exposed to terminology. You're going to expose to current events and concepts. And, and um, you know, I, I guess double bonus, <laughs> PPS, you're going to be asked in any single cybersecurity job interview, how do you stay current on the industry? It's just too freaking important to stay current that we ask all of the hires, uh, how do they stay current? This podcast, this what we do every single morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time is a phenomenal answer. Believe that. Now, if you hold a cybersecurity certification and you need CPEs, don't sweat that. We got you covered there too. This show, it's just it's just Oprah. You get CPEs, you get CPEs, you get CPEs, right? Half a CPE per episode. It stacks two and a half a week, 10 a month. Uh, be sure to say what's up in chat. Hashtag team live. Um, hashtag team live in chat. Um, and if you are on replay, bummer about the flying cars. I did see team replay, uh, informing me that in the future there are no flying cars, but we'll, we'll keep, uh, keep the good fight going. Uh, y'all. So hashtag team live, take a screenshot, file it away and get that, um, auditable evidence in case you ever do need a team replay. Same thing. It gets timestamped. And then my absolute favorite, if this is your first episode, if this is your first episode, if you're like, what is this guy doing? He's so amped up at 8 a.m. What the heck? Guys, let us know it's your first time. Hashtag first timer in chat. We love welcoming our first timers as well as celebrating the wins of our community members. So don't be shy. Hashtag first timer if today's your first episode. 
Now, before we get into it, I do want to say shout out and thanks to the stream sponsors who enable me to bring this magnificent, glorious show to you every single morning. So shouting out to Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recovering from the damage done. Guys, cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions, Eric Taylor, the Brain Trust, the staff over there, they know how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Believe that. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below. You can see I have their website pulled up on stream if you're watching. You scroll to the bottom, boom, this is Eric Taylor. Boom, these are Calendly links. If you're actively in a ransomware incident, you can get on the phone with Eric. Like, uh, let's see the earliest you can get. 12.30 p.m. You know, have a have a uh, a Crulla, <laughs> have a Crulla and a coffee from Dunkies, and then get you know get on Eric's calendar for lunchtime. You feel me? Got a uh, super chat coming in here from um, James McQuiggan, my good friend. Did we just become best friends? Yep. Good morning, coffee cup. Cheers to you, James. What a great way to start the Jerry Jerry on the ropes in our chess game. Win or lose, it's always a pleasure. Hashtag uh, convergence for flying cars equals Uber. Uh, coffee cup cheers. I'm all citadeled out. It is a Tuesday, so I'm like all merched out in citadel sh- merch. Uh, so coffee cup cheers, James. Thanks for the uh, thanks for the humbling in chess yet again. I'm like one in eight against James. And coffee cup cheers. Let me take a slug really quick. Mm. So good, so good. Love that coffee, guys. Also want to say shout out to Panopsi Security, guys. Panopsi Security, longtime sponsor of the show. Love the work they're doing. If you need a cyber gap analysis of your business or a risk assessment of your business because you need to figure out where your gaps are, where your problems are, and how you can move forward to actually improve your cyber risk posture in a material way, Panopsi Security, this is what they do, and they are phenomenal at it. Give them a call or go to panopsi.com and just have a conversation with Brandon Poole about how your program is currently shaped. He's like one of the easiest people to talk to. He's more interested in like helping you get sorted out than he is about like upselling and like, you know, add on things and uh, like all these like um, sales techniques that VC backed (laughs) uh, businesses do. All right. Also want to say shout out to Anti-Siphon Training, but more about them at the mid roll. Guys, I am super pumped. I am super pumped to be here. Want to say shout out and thanks as always to the mods, Kimberly, Jenny, uh, BSEC in chat. Looks like BSEC is um, uh, <laughs> BSEC is uh, living that IT life right now. Sean Peralt's in here. Steven Mount, good morning to you. All right, guys, do me a favor. I gotta, we gotta move, we gotta boogie quickly because I do have no jawjacking today. Gotta get in the car and commute. Ugh, you guys remember commutes? You youngs will never know the burden of the commute. Ugh. <laughs> Or the forced happy hours. All right, guys. Do me a favor. Sit back. Relax. We got a great show for you. And let's let the cool sounds of the hot news wash over you in an awesome wave. I will see you at the mid-roll. It is Tuesday, so it is Tidbits Tuesday. There will be a tidbit uh, I will share with you. From the CISO series, it's Cybersecurity Headlines. It's Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Microsoft leaks terabytes of internal data. 
Researchers at Wiz shared research with TechCrunch showing that Microsoft AI researchers exposed sensitive data in a storage bucket of AI training data on GitHub. The researchers intended to share image recognition models. However, misconfigured permissions granted access to 38 terabytes of data, including private keys, passwords, and over 30,000 internal Teams messages. Microsoft initially published this bucket back in 2020. Because the bucket granted full control, a savvy user could potentially delete or add content to the dataset. Wiz researchers notified Microsoft on June 22nd, and Microsoft revoked the token causing the issue on June 24th. The company said this did not expose any customer data. You All right, hold on. So a couple things here. One, one, um, you know, even Microsoft makes mistakes. Okay, even oh. even Microsoft can misconfigure databases. Now, I will say Microsoft spent forty nine billion dollars on OpenAI and ChatGPT. Microsoft has Copilot for the GitHub. So Microsoft's all up in AI's business. So know that. Second of all, I, I find it stunning that like a Fortune 10 company could could make an error like this. But guys, here's, here's a true story, okay? Here's a real fact, okay? One that you should know. If you've worked in technology, that includes cybersecurity, all right? It's one of the few times I'll, I'll bundle cyber into uh, technology. If you've ever worked in technology for like more than, say, six to 12 months, chances are you have a like a mess up or a mistake. It's like an embarrassing story. Like I myself was writing code in production, which is a terrible practice, writing code in production and forgot to join uh, two tables in a SQL clause and ran it in production and, and brought down an entire business. And you can't like unspool that. Uh, very, very easily. Okay. So like everyone's got a story like that somewhere, somewhere there is a 24 year old junior engineer who is sweating bullets because of this misconfiguration. Now um, it's just, it's just a rite of passage. It sucks. Um, and all this AI research is, you know, I, they, I don't think they know whether or not it was compromised or not. Here's the thing. A vulnerability does not mean it was exploited. You can have vulnerabilities for days and not have it exploited, right? You, you need someone to take action to exploit a vulnerability, but you can just be vulnerable. You can have a hospital gown with your butt hanging out in the wind, but no one walks by you. So, like, was it really a problem? You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it doesn't matter that your butt's hanging out the hospital gown because no one walks behind you, so there's no you know, exploitation of that vulnerability. Uh, so I, they don't have, as far as I can tell, they don't have audits to see, it, you know, if it was or not. Um, but this is a perfect example. When you, guys, and this is why information security is can be boring, okay? Do you know why InfoSec can be boring? And don't say GRC, uh, you, you, you smart Alex. The reason InfoSec can be boring is because you have to do vigilant, consistent, Day in, day out, blocking and tackling. Whenever a, whenever a database um, is configured, you should have it as standard protocol. Is how is it configured? Is it internet facing? Is it publicly accessible? Can you access it anonymously? Like, yes, I get it. It's boring. I'm sorry, but you know what? 38 terabytes of data. You probably didn't want that exposed to the internet. So, guys, just remind your dev your dev team, your DevOps team, your engineers, your your quirky 
uh, tech savvy finance guy. Maybe your general counsel's into crypto. Like whatever it is, you got to remind people consistency and vigilance is paramount when you're dealing with internet facing data. Now, as a final um, shout out, hey, Raymond Napoli, I'm GRC too, man. I love me some. I'm not hating on GRC. I love GRC. I'm I'm a GRC champion. I got NIST tattooed on one knuckle and GRC exclamation point on the other one. All right, so check it out. The final thing I'll say about this. I don't really I don't really follow this Wiz company, but like this Wiz company is officially on my radar. There was discussions around Wiz acquiring Sentinel One, which would be like such a BDS move. And now Wiz is doing this like great uh, research and discovery. They found this, right? So Wiz is like on the map as far as I'm concerned. And they are a cloud security startup. Um, and they're valued at $10 billion <laughs> and raised $300 million. So I don't know if they're hiring. Seems like a cool place to go. Uh, but Wiz, I'll put it this way. Put it this way. Next year at Black Hat, I'm definitely going to go to the Wiz booth. I don't typically go to the booths on the vendor hall. I'm going to the Wiz booth. I need to know what these guys are up to. Either that or I'm going to contact them and bring them on Simply Cyber Live. CMA outlines principles for AI regulation. The Competition and Markets Authority published seven principles to both guide future AI regulations and help companies responsibly develop AI. These apply to so-called foundation models targeted at LLMs used to base generative AI use cases on. The principles include ensuring developers using these models are responsible for output given to customers and allow for broad access to tech needed to train AI systems. It also prioritized offering a diversity of business models for foundation models, letting businesses decide how to use a model, interoperability for using multiple models simultaneously, avoiding self-preferencing, and risk transparency. The CMA also acknowledged that AI models touch on copyright and data privacy issues, but chose to focus on the competition landscape, given the handful of firms looking to entrench their market position. All right. So, you know, it's kind of funny. So this is, I, I, okay. So first of all, Shall we play a game? I love that the UK is making an effort to define these AI principles, essentially regulating AI. AI right now is a freaking wild west. It's like whatever you want, however you want to uh, train it. Um, power to the people, right? Anyone can spin up their own LLM. Anyone can spin up their own AI. We're seeing malicious AIs like Dark GPT and uh, Worm GPT, I think. We're seeing it get integrated into products all over the place. So like, let's not be foolish. AI, I, I've said it a million times. Well, I've said it probably 50 times, okay? We now are in the AI age. It was the industrial, the bronze age, the copper age, the iron age, the information age, the industrial age, the information age, which we just sunset. And now we're in the AI age. I swear to God, I'm happy that we're seeing this. I, I railed against the United States government, federal government because they decided that they needed to put some regulations and some thought into managing AI back in June. And they said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to hold a committee meeting in October about how we should handle AI. And it's like, bro, are you like, you are so dumb. seriously, like you cannot wait five months. AI is moving rapid. Like to say it's moving rapidly is like an understatement. It is unbelievably dynamic. Okay. And you cannot wait five months. You like you 
out of touch antiquated model okay it's got to be much faster and i love that uk is doing this now the good news is the uk and yeah jada hermit the uk um and the us are like buddy buddies right like we we the uk and the us have lockers next to each other in high school all right so they're like you know what's up you know like fist bumps and stuff so if the uk does this it's possible that the united states can um not appropriate but get get access to these things Unfortunately, the problem is that even though the UK will do this, uh, the the US has one problem. Great cash, homie. A lot, a lot of big tech companies um, have a lot of influence over US policy, even though it, they shouldn't, but they do. And a lot of the big tech companies own the AI, uh, and they're making um, cash, a, a lot of money off of it. So you know, there are some competing priorities, right? There are some perverse incentives for the U.S. to not want to adopt as stringent uh, principles and regulation. But let's just look at this really quickly. And remember, Isaac Asimov's three rules of uh, it was uh, AI, right? Like, don't harm humans. Like, I forget the three things. But, like, basically, I'm looking at this. Here are the seven. I, I feel like this. I'm going to put a link in chat. Like, this is actually pretty, pretty important that people did this. Um, and I'm just going to look really quickly. Um, not anti-competitively using bundling or self-preferencing. Uh, this one right here, this is the one that, <laughs> this is the one that big tech is going to be like, oh, that's cute. Let's go with six principles because there's no way, like th this is suggesting that you ask um, ChatGPT for a recipe on making crab cakes. And it's like, yeah, no, no, no. I've got a dynamite recipe for crab cakes. Just go to Whole Foods and purchase this crab and make sure you buy craft whatever. Um, or hey, like I see, I see you asked how to like you know fold a, uh, a a fitted sheet. Would you like me to order some Amazon fitted sheets as well? Like like th there's no way big tech is going to allow that last principle to be part <laughs> to be part of a U.S. Uh, AI regulation. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. Germany warns of attacks on LNG terminals. At the Baden-Württemberg Cybersecurity Forum, Germany's Federal Intelligence Service head Bruno Kahl warned that liquefied natural gas could become targets for state-sponsored actors. Germany chartered three of these terminals to lessen its dependence on Russian pipelines. While Kahl presented Russia and China as the country's biggest cybersecurity threats, he cautioned that smaller states could have an outsized impact with targeted cyber operations. While Germany saw several attacks impacting oil port terminals last year, officials told the record these appeared not coordinated with state-sponsored actors. All right. Uh, okay. couple things here. One, yeah, thanks, Wesley. Let's hit the like button if you're getting value, guys. Um, okay, so the German spy chief warns of cyber attacks. Okay, guys, Germany is a financial powerhouse. They are a first-world power. They are one of the G7 summit, right? You know, their Western philosophy that, you know, the UK, Germany, the United States, like they're all, you know, like they're, they're wearing the C. Oh, I got a C right here. They're wearing the C on their jersey. You know what I'm saying? Right? They're out there for the coin toss at the beginning of the game. Germany's saying that there's a uh, potential uh, targeting of, uh, you know, operational technology, industrial control systems. Welcome to 2023. Um, as operational technology gets integrated with IT, unfortunately, here's a reality. If you're going for a job interview, like in 
Texas or North Dakota, like if you're going for a job interview at an energy company and the, or for cyber, this is the deal. A lot of the OT, operational tech, the things that like physically move, uh, like, you know, lift a vent to vent out gas or add certain chemicals and, and, and mix it, right? Like literally OT means cyber physical system. A lot of those systems were built in like the 70s, the 80s, whatever. We'll go 90s, right? I'll be there for you, right? Like a little, little friend's reference for the 90s, okay? So that tech, while somewhat okay and secure, was always kind of like off the network, off the main network. A lot of security wasn't baked in. A lot of things are made quite simply, right? Like you can open a coil by sending a zero to it, and you can close a coil by sending a one to it, right? Like very simple. Because it was simple systems, open or close, right? Well, the thing is, as we get more and more IT, as we get into remote management, as we get into work from home or work from wherever, as you get things like the, um, oh my God, like that oil pipeline in Alaska, like um, the, the, the trucker road or whatever, you can't have someone go out to all of those. So if you put a remote sensor at all of them, IT, and have it query the OT and then transmit back and then allow some centralized uh, operator to affect the whole thing, you know what? Great cash, homie. The CFO and the people who are um, basically running the business, and a lot of these are private sector businesses, now they don't have to hire 50 field engineers. They can hire one field engineer. And that field engineer can do 50 people's work because they have a console seeing everything. So there's a lot of benefit and there's a lot of financial incentive. Again, cash rules everything around me. Cream, baby, right? Like it's it, follow the money. So by doing that, the CFO is like, yeah, look at this. I totally won. Like I've, I've increased revenue by whatever. The shareholders love it. And in reality, you've introduced IT, and if it's not properly configured, if that field engineer doesn't manage their credentials correctly, if you don't patch the IT, a million different things, you've now exposed your OT to major risks because of that IT integration. And this happens, this is happening all over the place, guys. So for Germany to, you know, detect uh, targeting of energy, like, welcome to the party. Like, this story, scary. Sure, if there was a natural gas explosion in Germany, horrible. If there was a, um, the natural gas was being brought down, uh, like, so it wasn't working in a winter horrible right but we're seeing a lot of times where it's happening all over the place so to me this story doesn't get a rise out of me right i'm not i'm not like oh my god like ugh, like the sky's falling because this happens all the time and hopefully i mean the fact that they can see it right now is a good sign um hopefully they have protocols in place to ensure that you know the ot isn't worked a lot of people um Hey, catch EPT. Shall we play so, and finally, a lot of people will say like, Colonial Pipeline, like, look at that. First of all, two things. Colonial Pipeline is a perfect kind of parallel to this, but you need to know Colonial Pipeline, the IT was hacked, not the OT. Somebody got remote VPN credentials and logged into the IT system of Colonial Pipeline. Just because the collective conscious of Eastern uh, America lost their mind and was filling up solo cups with gasoline. That has nothing to do with the OT. Like the fuel kept producing. All right. So just, okay. All right. All right. And, and finally, by the way, they said they don't think it's nation state sponsored threat actors. Um, okay. I think it is either nation state sponsored threat actors or it's 
cyber criminals who are being guided by nation state sponsored threat actors, right? Like, dude, like Lockbit isn't trying to piss off. Sorry, Kennedy. Lockbit isn't trying to anger a first world power. Dude, Lockbit, Alfie, Royal, Vice, Medusa, pick your ransomware threat actor of choice. Dude, they are making money, so much money. Do you really think they want to bring down the heat of a first world federal power? Hell no. That'd be the dumbest thing. That would be so dumb. You are so dumb. Seriously, Anton. All right. Crypto jacking operation moves away from EC2. Amazon Web Services remain a popular target for crypto jacking attacks. Previously, these targeted EC2 instances. However, new security controls that require approval for added resources have seen threat actors shift tactics. Researchers at Sysdig published details on an operation dubbed Amber Squid, which targets less popular services like AWS Amplify, AWS Fargate, and AWS SageMaker. Security policies can overlook these lesser-used services, making them prime targets. Researchers believe Amber Squid operates out of Indonesia. They recommend that if organizations cannot expand threat detection into these services, they should focus on higher-level logging to detect attackers as early as possible. Okay, so there's actually a couple, uh, there's a couple um, victims here. So here, let me unpack what's going on here. First of all, uh, crypto jacking, it's basically where a threat actor is able to execute code on your box and mine crypto, right? Because that, that, like, I'm not going to go into the whole thing, but like with crypto, Anyone can mine it. It's very resource intensive. At this point, it has diminishing returns unless you can have like a crypto super farm or you can have someone else, a victim, spend their energy and uh, money and resources, et cetera, to crypto uh, mine for you, okay? Which is what this is, okay? Second of all, as I mentioned, it takes major amounts of power. So threat actors don't want to pay for that. They want someone else to do it. And third, they're, apparently, they're using EC2, which is Elastic Compute, which is basically AWS's infrastructure as a service platform, right? So just think of EC2 as spinning up servers in the cloud. That's all it is, right? So if I am, say I'm uh, building a lab for G, uh, Simply Cyber, okay? I'm building a Simply Cyber lab, and anyone in chat, uh, 368 of you, by the way, we set a record yesterday, 374, so call, call a friend. We're like eight or six away from busting the record right now. Call a friend. Tell them to get over here. So, um, with, uh, I'm sorry, I got distracted. With the EC2 instance, infrastructure as a service, and apparently, I don't know, Amazon has some type of logging. Threat actors are now moving their operations to other AWS instances. Now, there's two things here for you to take away. Uh, operationally, one, if you're running AWS in any way, you absolutely should take a moment and verify or validate whatever it is that allows you to check the EC2 instances for compromised crypto jacking. Now, if you don't know the technical way to do that, okay, here is the absolute easiest way. Okay, this is like bonus material. Here we go. Hold on. Let me, uh, let me, let me, I need a good sounder for this one. Bonus material. The easiest way to find that your infrastructure has been compromised by crypto jacking is to tell the CFO or, you know, if you're a bigger organization, whoever's paying the bill, if your AWS instance is compromised, buddy, you're going to be going from like this much money, like this much money every month in spend, you know, like a little bit until like, whoop, 
like even if you miss it technically and auditing and everything like that, the very first month you get a bill from AWS and you're a victim of crypto jacking, you better believe you're going to notice. Okay. It sucks because you're going to end up having to pay like ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 in AWS compute fees, but, but, um, you'll catch it. Second of all, AWS actually has bill, bill rate limiting and, and alerts and stuff like that, that you can configure. So if it passes a threshold, so like, let's say that on average, you spend a thousand bucks a month. You should talk to your DevOps team about this, by the way, and financial financial group, if you haven't configured this, but let's say on average, you spend a thousand dollars a month. Okay. Set a threshold for $3,000. You should never get remotely close to that. Maybe you surge during Black Friday or something like that. Three grand alert, set a cap at like 10 grand. Okay. Now that's a business decision because now you're talking about uh, impacting the business by bringing it down after it hits 10 grand. But my point is you should never ever hit those uh, margins. So if you do, chances are you're compromised, right? It's, it's what I'm talking about is basically a tourniquet to quit the bleeding so you can get yourself straightened out. And by the way, just as I'm shooting from the hip, because I don't prep or research for this stories beforehand. Another thing about this, they say that threat actors are moving to other Amazon, um, you know, AWS uh, features and functions, right? They mentioned like, I don't know, AWS has such stupid naming conventions, but you can use AWS Amplifier, Fargate, or SageMaker. I don't know what the hell, sorry, Kennedy. I don't know what those things do, but whatever it is, you can move there. And I guess people are looking at EC2 from a logging perspective. So threat actors are moving away so they get less detected. Here's the reality. Yes, you should put logging in place to detect as soon as possible. But whether it's EC2, SageMaker, Fargate, Flaming Donkey, FUBAR, ch you know, chicken sandwich, I don't care what the heck AWS calls it. It's going to cost money and your bill's going to rock it if you get pwned by crypto jacking or anything else, frankly, right? That's using heavy compute. So no matter what they do, they can't hide the bill because you got to pay it. Great cash, homie. So just, just uh, whatever, food for thought, the more you know. By the way, this is why... This is why another reason you should definitely consider investing <clears throat> the $12 into a dozen <clears throat> into a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts on tomorrow on Wednesday and if you go to the office get those Krispy Kreme donuts and walk them into the finance and accounting office and just say, "Hi, I'm Jerry from InfoSec. Nothing nothing wrong here. Just wanted to give you some donuts, right?" Make that relationship, be friendly, right? Because when you say, hey, by the way, if you get a huge bill, don't just pay it. Maybe you should let me know, right? You feel me, brah? And now a word from our sponsor, Hyperproof. Imagine you have an audit coming up, but instead of the usual rush, you actually feel prepared. You've collected your evidence. You can see which risks have been mitigated. And best of all, you don't have to send out any last minute emails to other teams begging them for that one screenshot. Sounds like a dream, right? With Hyperproof's risk and compliance platform, this could be your reality. Get a demo at hyperproof.io. All right. <clears throat> We're right at 8.30. Guys, just as a as a weird point of pride, I love it when we hit the mid-roll right at 8.30. Like, I love it. To me, it's like, I'm not trying to stay on schedule, but like when I hit it, I'm like, yes, this is like, we're at the mid-roll. We're also midway through the show. We're midway through the time. Yes. Like for someone who is like almost neurotic about organization and structure, which is why I love GRC, hitting 8.30 is just like, oh, it's like a perfect cup of coffee. It's like, oh, so good. So good. 
All right, all right. Um, let's do this. Hey, I don't know if we got any first timers here, but if it's your first time, this is what we do. Woo! 376, guys. Yes, yes. Hey, we set a new record. Take a look. Take a screen cap. 376. Congratulations, everybody. New record. Two days in a row. Uh, we're PRing up in here. All right, guys. I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you to the 376 of you who made it here live today. Thank you so much. It really warms my heart and just makes me feel like we're doing we're doing important stuff here. Uh, yeah, everything's coming up, Millhouse. Um, guys, thank you to the stream sponsors, Barricade Cyber, Panopsi, and also Anti-Siphon Training. I talked about it a minute ago. Maybe some of you are actually going through John Strand's uh, Getting Started in Security with Black Hills and Mitre Attack right now. It's live right now. Anti-Siphon Training is here to disrupt tra the traditional training industry by providing high-quality, cutting-edge education to everyone regardless of their financial position, and they offer students the opportunity to learn practical skills and engage with a really awesome community. James McQuiggan dropping tens, 10. Guys, if you're one of the lucky people picking up those 10. Oh yeah, I love it. Thanks so much, James McQuiggan. Thank you all, and uh, if you are, if you pick up one of these sponsors, definitely get into the uh, squad uh, emote tray. You definitely want to do that. Check it out. Um, Black Hills InfoSec has all these pay what you can courses. I use the link in the description below and go to Black Hills and check out their pay what you can. Zero dollars, no problem. Five hundred dollars, no problem. Pay what you can. And they just they have all these different trainings. It's amazing. Someone mentioned PCI Migdalia Cyber Channel. Dude, October third, introduction to PCI. Get on that. I'll tell you right now, I'm terrible at PCI. I would be interested in uh, taking this myself. So anyways, giddy up on that. I also wanna say uh, thank you to all of you. If you are getting educational value, if, oh, Friendship House is taking the class. Thank you, Friendship House, Let, let's know how it goes. If you're getting educational value, if you're getting entertainment value, if you're getting any value, do me a favor and hit the like button right now. It goes a long way to helping other people find it. Okay, if you're a first timer here, it's chances are yesterday when I asked people to do this, they did it, and it the the YouTube algorithm's like, ah, I gotta find more cyber people. This is how we grow the community. This is how we set a new record for people in chat. This is what's up. Alright, so hit that like button. Guys, I wanna tell you about the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. This is just an awesome initiative that we've been doing for a while now. Right now, oh, we had 380 people. Woo! All right, guys. Stephen Browning currently has the the baton and does not appear to be in chat. So, Stephen Browning, are you here in chat? Let us know. While Stephen Browning is here uh, or answers, I will tell you about the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. Guys, if, if you want, this is a choice for you to make. You, right now, Evan Barnett, Angie Yarbrough, Hot Soup, Cold Soup, ask this question. Do you want your LinkedIn feed supercharged with inclusive resource valuable uh supportive cybersecurity content if the answer is yes if you want to hack linkedin so your feed actually has meaning and your network is rich and robust then listen to this do the simply cyber community challenge show up every day it takes you five minutes search on this hashtag find whoever made the post and comment on their story stephen browning wrote a 
a, a, a big, big post yesterday. I haven't even had a chance to read it all. It's awesome. Connect with him. Connect to the people in comments. When you comment, you now become someone that they connect with in the comments. You will grow your LinkedIn network with meaningful, valuable connections. And in two weeks' time, I promise you, your LinkedIn feed is going to be gangbusters. You're going to love it. All right? So Stephen Browning, uh, Jenny, I'll keep an eye on it. Um, and if we have to, I will tag somebody, okay? All right, Tidbits Tuesday. Every Tuesday, I share a little personal thing about me to see if it resonates with you. And uh, this one maybe won't resonate with you as much, but I just want to share this with you. I am very fortunate. I, I have an amazing family. I, my wife is my best friend. I love her. I have two great kids. I love my kids. I have three friends that I have been so, so close to. They're like brothers to me, okay, over the years. And um, having gone, you know, one of them lives international, one of them lives in New England, and one of them uh, awesomely just moved to where I live. Uh, and what I want to tell you is, I want to share this with you. So I went full time with Simply Cyber uh, on September 5th, and I met uh, uh, one of them for lunch on Sunday. And the three of them had collectively uh, organized, and they got this. So I'm a huge Patriots fan. Look at this. This is, look at my buddies, they got me a Simply Cyber. Patriots jersey, 23 for the year, 23. And uh, I know some of you aren't Patriots fans, but like this is this is like this is really heartfelt and it really made it, it, it was so thoughtful and so nice. I just want to share that with you guys that, uh, you know, friendships are, are unbelievably valuable. And um, I'm, I'm very fortunate that I my cup is overfilling with heartfelt, you know, loving uh, relationships. And I just wanted to share that with you. So thank you. That's a little tidbit about me. Let's get back to the news. Google changes code submission rules for Android. While most code in the Android Open Source Project, or AOSP, is licensed under the permissive Apache 2.0 license, Google generally develops most of the code in private with quarterly platform releases to introduce new features and APIs. Journalist Michelle Rahman noted that Google changed its rules for external code submissions to AOSP. These submissions now require the approval of two internal Google reviewers before the code can be submitted to AOSP. Google said it hopes this change will improve the software supply chain. Most external AOSP submissions come as bug fixes or security patches. Jeez, look at this. Look at this flowchart. Good grief. All right. So, all right. So here's the deal. Um, nice job, Michelle Raman. I appreciate this. Uh, guys, Google is, Google is one of the companies that's working with CISA, yep. working with the U.S. federal government. Uh, Meta is also, Amazon is also, but they're working towards improving the security of supply chain. And supply chain does include open source software as well. And, you know, they've written some tools that will scan GitHub and find vulnerable things. Uh, I think GitHub will actually tell you if you're like committing credentials and clear text and stuff like that. So this is just another effort of Google uh, putting their money where their mouth is. And basically, Android operating system has uh, open source code associated with it, and they don't want threat actors baking in badness. So essentially, they are introducing another hurdle to um, you know committing to the Android operating system. Uh, I appreciate this. Most people aren't making updates to operating systems unless they're like really, com you know, uh, accomplished uh, developers. 
right? And nation state threat actors can sponsor those things. So this isn't going to stop someone who's highly motivated and highly sophisticated uh, from doing, you know, shenanigans in the Android operating system. But you know what? Sometimes it's all about adding hurdles. It's all about, um, it's all about adding hurdles. It's all about defense in depth. It's all about making it painful for the threat actor uh, to get, you know, to get in what they want to get in. So, but you can see here, all external code contributions to Android operate, uh, open source project will require two Google reviewers before they can be submitted. So even if you have <laughs> one Carl, um, the chances of having two uh, are, are low, okay? So good, I love it. I love, dude, you know what I love? Like ideas, here's the thing, ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody's got great ideas. Execution is hard, okay? That's a fact. Secondly, you know, you get all the pub and you get all like the, the fancy uh, things you can throw on your website about how your business is like making a difference and whatever. Like, oh, like look at this. Look at this news clipping. We're amazing. Ugh. But like you still have to do the work. Right. And I just I just love seeing stuff like this because we do have a problem socially, like society wise of open source software being an attack vector, right? Whether it's typo squatting popular um, repositories, whether it's stealing usernames when people change, we saw that recently in the news, or whether it's just straight up baking malware into uh, open source software. It's a problem. And with software bill of materials, sometimes you don't know where the code is that you're running came from. So this is just another, just another brick in the wall, as Pink Floyd would say. White House seeks to make sense of cyber regulations. In recent weeks, the White House began an effort to create a framework for critical infrastructure operators. This would standardize compliance for cyber regulations, allowing for a single set of standards to apply across domains for a company. This would give a single set of rules for things like breach notifications and standardized formats for submitting information. This effort of harmonizing regulations comes as part of the National Cybersecurity Strategy Implementation Plan being led by the Office of the National Cyber Director and Office of Management and Budget. It's anticipated this effort will take several years. All right. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Anyone who's worked in the military. <laughs> now, I wasn't, I did not serve in the military, but I did work for the Marine Corps uh, for several years. Um, <laughs> when you have multiple agencies, you know, trying to like come together like the Beatles um, dude, it's, it's a hot mess express it. Like, I don't use this emote very often, the dumpster fire emote, but there you go. That is what it is. You know, people have agendas. People will be like, Oh, I don't like your politics. So like piss off, even though it's like a good thing for like everybody to make this decision. They're, they like weaponize it. Um, 16 critical infrastructures as defined under the Obama administration, uh, healthcare, finance, energy, dams, water, um, you know, fill out your bingo card accordingly, but in order to quote unquote, harmonize it, what, like essentially when they say harmonize, by the way, they're talking about one ring to rule them all. That's what they're talking about. They're talking about, um, we've had all this divergence of like, oh, you know, energy is a special snowflake. So they get whatever. Oh, transportation's a special snowflake. They get whatever. And now we need to begin convergence because if you converge things, then you can take advantage of scale, right? Like, so CISA, for example, just to name, just to name one, I don't know, CISA, you know, I randomly, randomly pick an agency. CISA, if they're making guidance or NIST is making guidance, uh, it can be much more, um, 
impactful in economies of scale if you've harmonized the way that cybersecurity rules and best practices and controls and everything are applied to different businesses, different sectors, different industries, et cetera. Now you can't, you can't harmonize everything, right? Um, you know, something like maybe energy, like for example, just like an example is like, how, how, how quickly do you need to report, right? Like in the state of South Carolina, you have 72 hours to report if there's a data breach involving PII, but that's like wicked fast and kind of ridiculous. But maybe in a state like, I don't know, <clears throat> South Dakota, you don't have to report at all, right? So it's all over the place. Um, but maybe in energy, it's more important to report as quickly as possible versus something like, um, I don't know, dams or something, right? Like, or aviation, I, I, I don't know. So anyways, this is, as they said, very, very challenging. This is not trivial. It's gonna be coupled with the fact that um, every four years, major, you know, not every four years, but every eight years, definitely, maybe every four years, there's a new uh, administration in power in the United States, which has agendas and, and you know, um, God, like favors that needs to pay back to its, you know, super PACs and stuff. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Keep an eye on this one, okay? California's Delete Act goes to the governor. California's legislator passed the Delete Act, this bill requires the California Privacy Protection Agency to create a website where citizens can see registered data brokers in the state and delete personal data all in one place. Once a citizen in the state requests deletion, the bill prohibits brokers from selling or sharing any newly collected information. The site would go online by 2026 under the bill. The Delete Act now goes to Governor Gvid Newsom for signature. Current law gives California citizens the right to request data brokers delete their data, but it requires contacting them individually. The Delete Act creates a centralized way to request deletion and enforcement for violation. Oh, this is great. Um, like my my shocked face that this is California pushing this is not. I mean, this is my shocked face that California is the one pushing this. Okay, <laughs> you can take a pause it, screen cap it, whatever. Uh, California of all the states in the United States is the one that's like most forward facing on privacy, um, which I love. Um, I'm trying to figure out here. They have a couple different stories dropped in here. Um, oh my God. Um, so I love this right now. You know, as I mentioned earlier, big tech companies, they broker in data. If you, if you don't think that data is the new gold, you're, you got your head in the sand, okay? Data is one of the most valuable assets in the world, and it's just we're just producing massive amounts of data, okay? So currently, big tech companies don't want to make it easy for you to control that data. And I know we have like HIPAA where we can request our data, but like in reality, if you call and say like, delete my data, like they're going to like at healthcare, they're going to delete like what they can see, but your data is like everywhere. It's proliferated. It's in cloud systems. It's, it's being shared. It's being used for like research and stuff. Like you're not going to get a magic delete button. Okay. That's the reality. And now the current law says you have to call, like, let's just say again, just to, to stick with healthcare, you have to call like your dentist office, your, your, uh, your family care office, that urgent care you went to, to get stitches that one time, right? Like, CVS, because you got a flu shot, right? Your insurance company, you have to go and touch all of these, which is incredibly painful, right? Which which is a deterrent 
to from you wanting to do it. So California realizes this, realizes that people don't really have control because it's a burden to actually manage it. And they've pushed this legislation for a one-stop delete button. Okay, love the idea of it. Now, what I will say is in practice, this is going to be impossible, okay? Like, this is gonna be impossible. Like, how are you gonna have a one-stop delete button, right? Like, think about think about it from an operational implementation perspective. So I, like, I run a, uh, like Nick Barker runs an elliptic repair shop, okay? So he, like, so a small business, like Nick Barker's elliptical repair shop, he is, you know, repairing people's elliptical and he needs like their address to basically um, mail them invoices, right? And then now he's got data on them. He knows they're enthusiasts. He gets an AG1 subscription and he gets like, ooh, like I'm gonna do affiliate marketing because my elliptical people probably want health supplements. Here you go, off and running. So now I'm a, I'm a, you know, a, a recipient and I want super privacy. So I hit the delete button. How the heck? Sorry, Kennedy. Kennedy, it's a rough day for me today. A lot of H-E-W hockey sticks flying around up in here. How is Nick Barker's elliptical repair shop supposed to be hooked in in any way to this magic one-stop delete button? So is it going to be like if you're doing business with California residents, you have to register with some portal? Well, good luck. What's that portal look like? Who's developing that portal? How's it being maintained? Is it secure? Who gets access to it? If I'm a business, is there thresholds? Like, this is fine in theory, and in practice, I I don't see how you implement this, right? And it's fine to say like, oh, Google and Amazon, right? Like, yeah, we can swing, we can swing with our eyes shut and hit the big uh, giants in the room. But guess what? Ninety nine percent of businesses in the United States are small businesses, right? So what are we doing here? Like, love the idea, champion uh, privacy, but uh, let's let's see how it looks, okay? Google promises a decade of Chromebook updates. Google said it will extend security updates on mobile computers running Chrome OS. Devices released since 2021 and onwards will receive 10 years of updates from the date of platform release, delivered every four weeks. Users with older devices can also enroll to receive 10 years of updates from platform release, but it won't be automatic. Fleet deployments of older devices will need admins <coughs> to enroll them. Google also said the devices outside of that 10-year update cycle will still be protected by native Chrome OS security features, things like verified boot. All right. We've heard a lot. All right. So a couple things. Uh, one, <clears throat> I know Google Chromebooks getting auto updates and lifespan support for 10 years. I love it. Okay. Google I'm Chromebook. Evangelist. I love it. Love it. Love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Why do I love it? Okay. First of all, Chromebooks are incredibly affordable, right? So they make having a laptop or a computer accessible. They're not free, but they are incredibly affordable. They make, they to me, there is a wealth equity divide. There is access to technology. And people who are in rural areas or in financially, um, kind of financially depressed situations may not have access to technology. They may not have internet. And guys, I got, a, I got a really sad observation for you. If you are not on tech in 2023, you're like, you're, it's, like, it's, it's like you're running in a swimming pool, okay? And everybody else is on the side of the pool running to like wherever we're all going, right? The ice cream truck is out front. We're in the backyard. 
you know, Uncle Gregory's grilling burgers. Everybody's winning, and we hear the ice cream truck like, doo, doo, doo. like, uh, like imagine the uh, the opening sequence from Siamese Dream uh, today by Smashing Pumpkins. Okay, and everybody's like, yeah, ice cream! I'm gonna get one of those like, um, like the the ice cream cone with the gumball on the bottom, right? And they're running, and you're in the pool, and you're like, ah, crap! Like you're not gonna get ice cream. You're you're gonna be left behind, and it sucks because it's a financial constraint that's causing this divide okay there's so much opportunity there's so much access to resources that can help you but you need tech to do it so i love that google uh did the chromebook i love that google's extending the lifespan i love that they're doing automatic updates protecting carl from carl okay so i love this second of all dude as i regularly rail um local uh school systems they they don't have a lot of money, right? Okay, they're getting hit all over the place by like Vice Society and Medusa and crap like that. But dude, kids need tech for the reasons I just outlined. I literally just explained why we need tech in everybody's hands, especially children coming up. So Chromebooks are all over in the schools, right? And I'm sure somebody made a, a boatload of money off of selling 50 million Chromebooks to everybody in the United States as kids. But my point is, Kids are in Roblox and, and goofing around. They're not thinking like, oh, I should really patch my, my, my Windows OS right now. And perhaps I should, um, you know, disable these configuration settings for listening services that I'm not using. No eight-year-old's doing that. An eight-year-old is like, how do I log into Canvas? And how do I, you know, read Clifford the Big Red Dog? Like, they're not worried about, you know, Typhoon Swarm APTs coming at you, brah, right? So the automatic updates, I love. So thank you, Google. Thank you. I know you changed your uh, motto from do no evil because you wanted to move into the China market. But you know what? This is cool. I, I love this. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So that's going to do it. If, by the way, from an operational perspective, if you're running Chromebooks, like say you're IT at a school system or something like that, make sure that you um, share this information. Um, it's very, very uh, promising. You'll be able to extend the life of these Chromebooks, um, and it's just, it's just value add. Also, if you're kind of like trying to stand up a, a program, um, you know, helping kids or whatever, or helping anyone, like say you're, you're moving into an impoverished area of a city or something like that, and you're trying to set up a uh, like a boots to books program or rags to riches or whatever, like what, name it whatever you want, and you <clears throat> you have a little bit of uh, capital to spend. The Chromebooks right here, further defining why they'd be a good investment. Guys, I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. This has been the Daily Cyber Threat Brief Podcast. We're here every single morning at 8 a.m. Uh, hold on one second. Is, is Josh going to... Okay, so... All right, so um, Stephen Browning did not pick up the baton, but it looks like Josh Mason, our very own Josh Mason... Uh, pilot, traveler, very nice person. Josh Mason will be uh, posting the Simply Cyber Community Challenge. So definitely go on LinkedIn and search for this hashtag and giddy up on it. All right, guys. As I said, it is a Tuesday <clears throat> during the semester. So I have to boogie because I have to go sit in traffic because commutes are still a thing in 2023 somehow. But anyways, thank you all so very much. I had a great experience today. Tell a friend, way to go on 
380, 380 people live in chat. We straight crushed it, homie. I love it. Be good, everybody. And until next time, stay secure. Everybody, I hope you enjoyed that content. Keep the cybersecurity train going by connecting with the other Simply Cyber community resources. We have the Discord server that's lively and always keeps the conversation going. You can connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And also every single weekday morning on the Simply Cyber channel, we're doing live daily cyber threat briefings, 8 a.m. Eastern time, as well as Thursday at 4.30 p.m. We're doing live stream interviews with industry experts, and we produce videos that we push out every Wednesday morning. I'm Jerry from Simply Cyber. I hope you enjoyed the content, and we'll see you in the next one. Come